I told the court that I'm wrong to imprison. Mr. Simpson, you, you are know. not going to the jury. There's too much being hid from you. You have to be taken out of the court. There's too much. He was one small man in a giant wheel caught. Well, I do wish to say that it's official that I'm wrongfully imprisoned right now. Uncover, Season 7, Dead Wrong. I asked him if he killed Pipple. He said yes, and I'd be next. Available on CBC Listen and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Think back to when you were a kid. You've been told to get outside and play, so maybe you head off to the local park or the nearby forests and fields. Now think about how you played. Was it all about safety? Be careful, don't do this, do that, you might get hurt. Or was it more about adventure? And be honest, maybe even some risky behavior. There are some things that I did when I was young that I still probably wouldn't tell my parents about. Uh, Well, there is some new advice from the Canadian Pediatric Society about how kids need more of that type of risky play. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, we heard from a trio of adventurers in Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood running around in the light rain under the streetlights after dinner. Okay, so this is, like, a tree house, and we, like, spent, like, lots of days working on it. Like, you could, in principle, fall down and break your leg, but we don't worry much about that, because, well, making it was most of the danger. I'm seven years old, and my name is Julia. My name is Elias, and I'm nine. My name is James, and I'm nine. Every day after school, we basically play. We just run around doing crazy things outside. Oh, yeah. We pretended that we, like, crashed our bikes. And then, like, someone... <laughs> and then someone, like, came. And then, and then we just, like, laughed. In the alleyway, we see, like, one time we were walking, and then we saw this van pop up. And then, like, he honked at us, and, and we think it's mafia-organized crime. Well... Uh, personally, I don't think it's very true, but someone actually honked at us, and it was pretty weird. And then they started chasing us, and then they went away. When we were in the alleyway, we got, like, this, this like, drawer from the dumpsters. We got in it, and all of us kids, we, like, sort of made it, like, a little car to, like, drive in. So then, when you push and then jump on, on the wheels will fall off and then skate across the concrete. And in the back alleyway, we once had a zipline. It didn't really work, and then we said bye-bye zipline. Where were your parents? Um, uh, nowhere. Didn't know a thing about it. <laughs> okay, so can I just say those kids should have their own show? I mean, that's fantastic. Dodgy tree houses, encounters with strange vans and back alleyways, maybe driven by the mafia, bike crashes, dumpsters turned into cars, failed zip lines. If you're a parent or caregiver, you might be freaked out right now listening to that. The Canadian Pediatric Society is saying that risky play, even the kind that might result in some sort of scrapes and bruises, is actually good for kids' mental, physical, and social health. Mariana Brissoni is a professor in the Department of Pediatrics in the School of Population and Public Health at the University of British Columbia. That new paper relied on some of her research. Mariana, good morning. Good morning. Thanks those, for having me. Those kids sound fantastic. Uh, did you hear the joy in their voices? <laughs> I just wanted to go and play. How do you define, with, along with the Canadian Pediatric Society, how do you define this idea of risky play? What is that? 
We, we talk about risky play as thrilling and exciting forms of play where children are engaging with uncertainty and there's a chance of physical injury. And so what this typically looks like is much of what your, the kids talked about, you know, play at heights, play at speed, uh, rough and tumble play, play with tools like ba- building a treehouse, um, those sorts of things. Uncertainty, engaging yes. with uncertainty. What does that mean? That is one of the critical aspects of this kind of play. The kids are doing stuff that they're not sure what the outcome will be. They're doing an experiment with the world, with their bodies. It could be positive. It could be negative. Um, And so this is part of the value of risky play because the world is filled with uncertainty, things we can't control or predict. Uh, And so it builds their ability to manage the the kind of strong emotions that come with with uncertainty, their self-confidence, their resilience, all of those sorts of things. And there is in that the understanding that you might get hurt, right? Absolutely. Part of the definition is is physical injury. And so, you know, anytime you move your body, if you think about sports and other activities, there is a chance of physical injury. And as an injury prevention researcher for over 20 years, this is this is part of what I've dug into. So mm. how likely are serious injuries? Do we need to worry about them? And are we justified in, in our past approach where we've tried to keep see, uh, kids as safe as possible to avoid really any likelihood of injury or should we be thinking about this differently and and giving a lot more freedom and accepting that there's going to even be potentially some broken bones, even like the kids themselves identified? Is, is that, I mean, broken bones, is that not acceptable injury, but do you know what I mean? Like, is that the threshold where they might fall? And as we heard from that kid, you might break your leg, but we're not too worried about that. Yes, exactly. So when we've had a lot of conversations of what does serious injury mean? What are we trying to prevent? We're obviously trying to prevent death. uh, But with serious injuries, broken bones are are not uh, by and large considered serious injury. Mm. Um, And so, you know, we talk to our orthopedic and trauma surgeon colleagues. They say, I would rather have the kids out and playing. I can fix these bones that when, you know, when these things happen, it's much more important that they have the freedom to get out there. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but what, what, what does that kind of adventurous play, risky play, what does it do? You've hinted at this, but what does it do for kids? And in the absence of it, what aren't they learning? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that clip at the beginning was just so beautifully illustrative. So if you can imagine those kids, you, you can imagine them running around and um, figuring things out for themselves, making plans, like let's build this tree house and uh, engaging. Okay. So how do we build the tree house and making, uh, you know, uh, keeping their attention on the task to build that tree house. They're moving their bodies in ways that they wouldn't indoors. They're, they're running, they're jumping, they're shouting. And so, we've been able to map uh, a lot of those activities onto really critical aspects of of, uh, children's health, development, and well-being. You know, so most straightforward, physical activity. Uh, They are more physically active outdoors than indoors, less sedentary. Um, That kind of planning around what they're going to do and working together to do that, that that builds executive functioning skills, uh, the social and emotional learning that happens when uh, when they have to deal with their own kind of strong emotions and also um, hanging out with each other and negotiating with each other. Um, And we've got, you know, like those kids sounded so 
confident, right? You know, this mafioso came by and, you know, <laughs> haunted us. And we're like, big <laughs> deal, you know. Uh, can, you know, ages seven and nine, uh, these are the kinds of things we want to see with our kids where they just feel like they can tackle uh, all of the things that life throws at them and figure it out. You know, and so those are the kinds of things, you know, what are many just examples of what this kind of play provides. Sounds an awful lot like how, I mean, I don't know how you grew up, but how I grew up where you be, you go outside and you just did stuff. And then you came back and maybe you disclosed some of what you did, but you didn't talk about all the things because your parents might freak out, but you had fun in doing it. When did that go out of fashion? Yeah, it we point pinpoint around the late 80s. Um, and, and there was a few things that happened during that time. Um, so there was a move towards intensive parenting, right? So this idea that a good parent is a parent that really uh, is on top of their children's lives, making sure that they get the right experiences to get into the right universities and have the right career and so on. And that came really out of a, an increase in inequities in society um, that, that after a series of recessions, so parents were kind of like, oh, geez, my child uh, has to work harder and get more education than I did to have the same kind of lifestyle. Um, the other thing that happened uh, around the same time is, you know, the proliferation of media. So you have uh, kind of media bombarding us with all of the horrible things that are happening. Stranger in the world. danger. Who and knows who's in that van? Exactly. And I don't remember, I don't know if you remember the, the picture of the kids on the milk cartons, mm -hmm. the kids who had been kidnapped, right? So there was this sense that um, that there was a kidnapper lurking around every corner waiting to take the kids, and, you know, and so there was this increasing fear and perception that the world was a much more dangerous place when in fact, you know, the statistics show quite the opposite. Um, and so you combine all of that and you have so what it means to be a good parent is to make sure your kids don't have free time, that they're always doing something that's academically fulfilling, um, and and that they're supervised uh, and safe. How do you go about, and I don't know, part of this is whether parents want that, but how do you go about creating the conditions where something like that is possible so that parents don't get, you know, a, a, a dirty look or a tut-tut. I can't believe you're letting your child jump off that high play structure or climb even further up that tree because it's dangerous and who knows what might happen. How do you create the conditions for something like that to flourish if, as you say, it's important for ch child development? Yeah, there's several layers that have to happen. So part of it is our conversation right now and the Canadian Pediatrics Position Statement. So having those conversations at the societal level so that people can understand how important it is. And when they see kids out, they, they, they you know, they think that's a good thing. Um, and part of it is at the local level, you know, you heard those kids. So that sounded like stuff that we would have heard in the 70s and 80s happening in neighborhoods around Canada. And it's happening now. Um, and so we have, uh, you know, we, we've done a lot of research and work with parents. We have a tool for parents, outsideplay.org, which is free, which they can go on to help them figure out how to um, work through these issues. We encourage them to talk to their neighbors, you know, to come to kind of a like-minded understanding, because not only is it important for parents to understand that their kids go out, but there have to be other kids out to play with mm -hmm. when they get out there, right? Um, and so you can create pockets of neighborhoods, like we were able to do that when my kids were growing up. Um, and so that, you know, you, you can 
provide these experiences for kids. And you will still have, you know, when we talk to parents and what are their fears around this kind of play, you know, they're afraid of injury, they're afraid of kidnapping, and they're afraid of being seen as a bad parent, you know. Um, And so you will, you know, potentially still have that. But what we encourage parents to do is to really get in touch with what are their core values around what they want to see for their child when they grow up? And are they providing those experiences to make sure that happens, like independence or resilience or so on? And if they really get in touch with that, it's it's much easier to kind of have a, a North Star when you face, you know, other parents or others who are thinking that you're a bad parent for doing this. Just before I let you go, is this also just about how we frame this? I mean, I'd said that this is about risky play. We're a risk-averse society. Is there another way that we could that we could refer to this? Yeah, and that's a good question. And, you know, I I pick my um, terms depending on who I'm talking to. I don't want to freak people out. So sometimes I, you know, I have to talk about, say, outdoor play or things like that, um, just because we don't want to shut down the conversation before it starts. And that's okay. We sometimes talk, you know, the UK talks about it as adventurous play or challenging play. Um, But really, once kids start to play, and they're allowed to play the way they want to play, they have the freedom, they're, they will take risks. Um, and so that's why at the societal level, we talk about risky play to make sure that people recognize and don't like put a stop to it, recognize how important it is. But when we have conversations at the local level, we might start quite gently you know, with outdoor play. This is really interesting. Mariana, we'll leave it there. Glad to talk to you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Mariana Brusoni is a professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the School of Population and Public Health at the University of British Columbia. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart. And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Alexandra Lang is an architecture and design critic and the author of The Design of Childhood, which is all about this topic. Alexandra, good morning to you. Thanks for having me. What are the physical barriers of play spaces that you've seen? And you've written about this, uh, as I mentioned in a book, you've written about it uh, in the Times Magazine, uh, the, the, the physical barriers that would prevent this sort of play from being encouraged. Well, I would say the first physical barrier is really just incredibly boring playground. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is, what is a boring playground? What is a boring playground? A boring playground is a playground that has um, one fenced-off area for little kids and one fenced-off area for older kids, and kids older than 12 aren't supposed to play there. Um, it has, you know, a very standard issue sort of plastic play structure in the middle of a paved area and, you know, no natural elements and no movable elements. Um, And it's probably very hot and has no shade. So the parents are standing around the edge and kind of tapping their foot and thinking, when can we leave? Because they have to be there with their kid, but nobody's having that much fun. Those play structures are often (laughs) like that in part because of issues of liability, right? Isn't that the big concern that parents uh, and those who run the playgrounds are worried that if somebody falls off, that if it's too adventurous, the child could get hurt, the parent might sue them. 
Yeah. I mean, and when we're talking about kind of why play got so small, essentially, in the late 80s, I think we have to add like the litigious society and new regulations around play structures into that mix of things that got us to the place that we are today. Um, But the truth is that uh, there are play structures that are more challenging that are still safe. Um, And you see those, especially in Europe. Um, So many play structures in catalogs have been extensively tested. And it's just that a lot of cities have, um, you know, play structures that are 20 or 30 years old. And a lot of cities just keep sort of ordering from the same page in the Mm -hmm. catalog when really like there's a whole world of like fascinating um, playable objects out there. Um, but those tend to be reserved for like your marquee playgrounds and they're not filtering their way down into neighborhoods where kids could use them every day. There are also much less formal kind of playgrounds that you saw and you wrote about as you traveled around the world, particularly in Japan, right? What did you see in Japan when it came to areas that would encourage whatever we're calling this risky play, adventurous play, uh, free play, what have you? Yeah, there's actually a long history um, of junk playgrounds, which are still flourishing in Japan. And honestly, the kind of play that you see there is very much like those kids with their treehouse. They're usually kind of like an open area with woods around it. And there's basically a pile of junk and some tools and very light supervision and no equipment. The point is for kids to build their own equipment, build their own structures, build their own play from scratch. Um, And those have been going on in some cases for 30, 40 years with a very low injury rate. And they look so shocking to us in the U.S. and Canada, even though now we we have a few in the U.S. Um, But they are just really these great opportunities for kids to do things that they're typically never allowed to do in their own homes or own yards. What did you see kids doing when you were watching this playground? Um, I saw them using a hose and making like a giant mud puddle and then jumping into it. Um, I saw them using hammers and nails and trying to start, you know, building a shade structure for them to eat lunch in. Uh, I saw them climbing on the structure, like built of some old tires that kids had started the day before and trying to figure out like what they could do to add to it. Um, and In all of these cases, I I mean, I think you can tell from the story, they were working together. And in a lot of cases, like these weren't kids that had come there together. They they hadn't known each other, you know, until 10 minutes ago. But immediately, because they had to move something heavy, because they wanted to make something bigger, they knew that they had to like make friends and cooperate um, and start playing as a group rather than as individuals. Did I read this correct that in one of those play structures or play areas, there was like a fire pit, like actual fire burning that the kids were around? Yes. Yes. You did read that. Um, and there's actually a you great You can hear document- the surprise in my voice, but continue. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's a great documentary about one of these um, junk or adventure playgrounds in Wales called The Land, in which the fire pit at The Land is very heavily featured. Um, and you have to understand, it's like, how do you know that fire is hot unless you touch it? Um, that I think that that is at the bottom, like at the base of a lot of these, this talk about risky play, it's like no matter how many times your parents tells, tell you something is dangerous, if you've never experienced even a hint of danger for yourself, you don't really know what that means. 
You also, and this is just finally on, on what you've seen, you reference in New York City, there is a play area with a sign and the sign said, your children are fine without advice or suggestions. Yes, that is um, Playground NYC, uh, the yard on Governor's Island in New York City, where I have to say my own children have played very happily. Um, and yeah, that is basically, you know, telling the parents to back off. Um, when we set up these very boring playgrounds where the parents have to stand around and watch their kid every minute, um, you set up this situation where the parent is always monitoring the play and sometimes thinking, oh, I wish my kid would try this thing rather than that thing, and just kind of like getting into it with them. And play is supposed to be a flow state, a creative state. And if your parent is constantly kind of correcting and suggesting and all of that, you never achieve that flow state. Um, so at the yard, the parents are not allowed to come in. Um, there are play workers there who are supervising lightly, but the parents are basically told to go away and let their kids play by themselves. I mean, I think the liability issues around some of this stuff are real. And I, there, that's a reason why, in part, you're not going to see you know a fire pit uh, at your local school playground um, in, in many communities. But beyond that, if we park that, in the last couple of minutes that we have, what what do you think can be done to create within an urban space in particular, the facilities that would better encourage that kind of, that, what did you say is a flow state in terms of how kids play? What can we do to yeah. create that within an urban setting? Well, I'm actually in the middle of writing an article about this new playground in Philadelphia in FDR Park, where um, they have very high slides um, and uh, very high rope structures, and they have you know cushioned surfaces beneath them. They're, the rope structures have an outside enclosure, so you can't fall off you know the part that's ten feet in the air. But you do feel like you're high because the whole thing is made of rope, so it's open, so your foot can go through but your whole body cannot. So there are ways to design structures that have that feeling of height, that have that feeling of adventure, but are still protecting you from a bad fall. Um, and these don't have to be so big. You can insert them you know, into the wooded area in a city park. So it's very possible. Is your sense that people want that? I think once they see it and they see how much fun their kids are having, they do want that. Huh. Alexander, we'll leave it there. I'm glad to talk to you about this. And we'll hear from parents, I'm sure, and maybe some kids as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Alexander Lang is the author of The Design of Childhood, How the Material World Shapes Independent Kids. We would indeed love to hear from you on this. Um, how could we go about creating those spaces such that kids feel like they can play with adventure and learn risk and learn how far the limits can be. Are you comfortable as a parent with that? I mean, when you hear some of the examples, um, does that freak you out when you hear those kids running around in, in Kitsilano? Does that give you kind of the fear or are you excited by that? Um, and maybe you could even go about describing the world that you played in and that your kids played in. Um, and when it comes to risk and adventure, what you actually learned from that. You can email us, thecurrent at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.